starting in verse 19. And I, I think what if you had the opportunity to be guaranteed of a success in your investment? What if you had the opportunity to be guaranteed, guaranteed success in what you are doing? I believe the picture that Jesus gives us here uh, today is a, is a place that we can have some guaranteed success. We can have the... get to have a, a guarantee that if we will follow His Word, that we will, we will see results, the kind of results that we want to see. When we look at Matthew chapter 6, if we take it as a whole thing, um, which is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. So right in the middle of this sermon, if we deal with it as a whole, it actually talks a lot about money and also about satisfaction. It's really easy to see from what we'll look at today and what we will look at next week. But I also think it's part of what Sam covered for us last week as well, because chapter 6 begins by talking about giving to the needy, giving to the needy. And I personally believe that giving is the antidote to selfishness. So in the times in my life when I'm feeling selfish and I'm wanting to take care of uh, only myself, I find that the best way for me to break out of that cycle is to give something away, right? Maybe it's to buy a stranger coffee or maybe it's just to, to um, uh, even to l- literally to give something away. Sometimes I just will fall into these times where I'm just being so greedy and selfish, where I just want to take care of myself all the time. And at least for me, the way to break out of that is to be not just recognizing other people have difficulties, but to really uh, actually get involved in their difficulties in some way. It helps me to put someone else's needs above my own desires. Then we find the next two sections, and you might think this is really not about money uh, and satisfaction at all, but I think the Lord's Prayer and fasting do have a lot to say about those things, because they're taking into account, if we take into account, the fact that Jesus is teaching us to not rely on our things, but instead to rely on God, that's, we see that in the Lord's Prayer. He asks for His, Lord, give us today our daily bread, right? I don't know about you, but my inclination is to ask for a pile of cash. Lord, would you give me a pile of cash so that then I could buy all the bread that I need when I need it, right? And I could put it in the bank and I would know it was there and I would be able to just rely on that fact. But Jesus says, give me today what I need for today. And then he teaches us about being dependent on God. Otherwise, I believe that we trust more in our own ability, more in our finances, uh, more in our own personal decisions, and we trust less and less in the Lord. We trust more in ourselves and less uh, less dependency on Him. And when we, we pray and when we fast, we're sort of forcing ourselves right in these prayer times to say, Lord, here's an issue, and really there's nothing that I can do about that. And so I would really love for you to do something about this. We will pray and say, Lord, there's just something, uh, maybe it's, for, this again, personal example, 
Lord, there's this thing in my life and I do it and I hate that I do it and I can't seem to change it. Would you change that in me? Would you give me the grace to change these things? Or I look at some sort of maybe injustice or just something that's a problem that's too big for me to handle and pray, Lord, would you do something about that? Would you change the the situation or change the people that are involved in that somehow? When we pray, when we fast, we force ourselves to rely on God to get our satisfaction on Him and not from food or from uh, other things. When we become people who just hoard up all of these uh, things for ourselves, we start to trust in ourselves, right? I'm a pretty good business person. I'm not a good business person, but some some person might say that. I'm a good business person. Uh, I have great ideas. I'm great at putting things into motion. I'm I'm good about recruiting and uh, leading people, any of these kind of things. We put ourselves into this position where we never feel any uh, effect of doing without. We end up being very self-reliant. And I believe this is the worst kind of idolatry. When we're in this place and we trust only in ourselves, we're not trusting in God, we're trusting in ourselves. We make ourselves to be our own God. So that's kind of the first half where I think there's something about money and there's something about satisfaction that are in those texts. But Jesus, He doesn't just leave it in this non-kind of physical uh, area, right? Trust in God, be reliant upon Him. He also warns us against dependence on our relationship with things in this world. We were in Penang last week, right? And we go into the Gurney Mall. I don't know if you ever go to Penang and you go to the Gurney Mall and there's a black, a matte black Lamborghini. And so I took a picture, click, of the Lamborghini. I sent it to Caleb. There's a black matte Lamborghini. And he writes back and says, I want that car. And so I just think I've never just in the street saying, hey, there's a, like in our neighborhood, when I walk the dog, there's a broken down Volkswagen Beetle with a window missing and they've got a plastic bag taped over it. <laughs> Click, right? I want this 1973 Volkswagen Beetle with the window missing. I never do that. And so uh, our relationship with the things of this world are something we need to give pretty consistent attention to. So let's just go there. Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. This is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, we... Thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way that you speak to us. And Lord, how challenging it is practically. 2,000 years after these things happened, there's still a practical challenge in our lives today. And so we thank you for the way that you uh, push us and the Holy Spirit, uh, the way that Holy Spirit, you open our minds as we read and as you teach us and apply these things to our lives and our day and our situation 
here in JB. We just pray that you would guide us this morning. Father, I pray that you would help me to decrease, that you might increase, and I pray that you would speak to your people today. I pray that you would help us to rightly align ourselves with you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would even save people today, that you would bring people to a a first-time understanding of the gospel so that they might become children of God. We love you. Pray that you would teach us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe as we as we look just at these few verses, that we'll see three things. First, the location of your treasure determines your focus. The location of your treasure determines your focus. That's the first one. Secondly, if we shut out the light, we will be consumed by darkness. That's number two. If we shut out the light, we'll be consumed by darkness. And then thirdly, you can serve God or you can serve money, but you cannot serve both of them. You can serve God or money, but not both. So let's take the first one, see what Jesus is teaching us. Here's the, here's the thing again. The location of your treasure determines your focus. He says in 19, 20, 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, I find this amazing because I think that we normally believe the exact opposite of that. We think we invest our money where our heart is, right? Here's something that I love, and so I invest my money in that place. But I think Jesus is saying here, we, where we put our money is actually what determines what we find important. We don't care about things because we invest in them. We invest in them, and then we care about them. We care because we are invested. And so we must be people who invest our lives. And I'm not talking just about finance. I'm talking about your whole life. We invest our our lives wisely. So we get to live like eternity is the most important thing. And and there are two points I I want to give you here. Eternity is the most important thing. And we do that. We live that way by, by first guarding our heart and then by guiding our heart. So we guard our heart then we get to we get to determine the focus. That's what Jesus is telling us. We get to determine the focus of our heart. So what is it that matters most in life? And when we make the, the kind of decisions about what's most important, we need to put the, the focus on eternal things like people. We put the, the focus on eternal things like people. And then we have to consistently watch ourselves to see if we're living according to what we say is the most important. Because I'll say the most important thing is people and then I will lay on the couch all day on Saturday and watch TV. And it just shows this inconsistency, right? I don't believe people are important or I wouldn't be on the couch. I would be speaking to my neighbor or I would be uh, helping out in some way in the community. I would be trying to just love people and be a blessing to them. I would be writing emails. I would be maybe even writing letters, right? Can you imagine that? Writing out a letter and posting it back to uh, our home or to our friend somewhere around here. We have, to, we have to guard our heart and really choose where we're going to focus. So that's the first part, guarding our heart. And then we guide our heart because after we make reasoned decisions, okay, people are the most important thing, then the way that we behave and the way that we invest ourselves shows what we really care about. We, we put our finances there, and so then we're going to follow. Maybe you've seen this like um, 
we signed Hudson up for a football training program recently. And when you sign up and then you pay the money, you're much more likely to go, right? If Henry and Lisa had a dinner and they said, Friday night, we're having this dinner. It's going to be about teaching refugees ESL and it costs 100 ringgit. And then you signed up and you paid the 100 ringgit. You're way more likely to go, I believe, than if you said, uh, yeah, I'm going to come. Man, dinner's free. I'm there. And then Friday, you think, wow, the traffic's bad. It's been raining. I don't really feel like I'm re- actually not that hungry. I don't know if I care about those people anyway. And then you stay home and watch TV, right? Because you're not, you're just not invested in those things. And that's how we guide our heart by, by putting some investment in those things. If people are the most important, we have to make decisions about what we do with our money, right? I, I was watching this week. I'm, I'm not a huge, um, technology person. But they announced this uh, iPhone X, right? They're some, I think they maybe are wanting you to say iPhone 10, but I refuse. I'm just going to say iPhone X because I think it's more exciting. And it is over 4,000 ringgit. It's a thousand US dollars to buy this phone. Now, I'm not saying that you are an irresponsible human being if you buy a $1,000 phone. You, you can buy a thousand dollar phone. Uh, everyone can have a thousand dollar phone as far as I'm concerned, unless you want a $1,000 phone so that you can pull it out on the MRT. Probably if you have a $1,000 phone, you don't ride the train, right? You pull out your $1,000 phone, and then you hold it out really far so that other people can say like, whoa, that lady has the new iPhone X. Because that is a problem. I don't think it's a problem to have the phone and use the phone and all this kind of... I'm not making a value judgment about whether you should... Just buy the iPhone 8 instead of the iPhone X, right? You can still have the new phone, but it's $300 less or whatever, however that works out. I'm saying the problem is when we, when we have our things and our things drive how other people feel about us, that is a problem. That is a real problem. So when you roll up and you are in a Toyota or you're in a Lamborghini, as opposed to if you roll up in your Proton and you think, I don't want to go... Right, because because most of us, I'll just say most of us, most of us are not 12 years old anymore. Right, you may have gone through this period when you were a child where you said, "Drop me off at the corner, drop me off at the corner." Right? Is that has that ever been a thing in Malaysia, and Singapore, in the U.S.? It's very very common. Drop me off at the corner because your car is so bad. I'm a, I'm ashamed for my friends to see your car. <laughs> you're and you're completely uncool. We just as a parent, so just drop me off and I'll just walk the rest of the way. We, if we, if we feel, we get all this kind of, uh, boost in our lives based on how other people are viewing us, that's a real problem. Because Jesus is saying, don't keep your treasure on earth. It will rot. He just promises. It will rot. It will rust. It will be stolen. The things that we store up here, they just come to that end. The way to protect your treasure, he's saying, is not to put it in the bank. It's to put it in heaven. You put it in heaven, right? So uh, how do we do that? Secondly, if we shut out the light, we will be consumed by the darkness. This is the second point. We shut out the light, we will be consumed by the darkness. Verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I have to confess Day after day this week, I'm laying in bed thinking, what in the world are verses 22 and 23 about? And I'm just thinking, what is light and darkness and eyeballs? What has this got to do with what he's talking about? 
And it, and it occurs to me as I'm reading through, as I'm praying, then if he's talking about put your treasure in heaven in 19, 20, 21, and he's talking about you can't serve two masters in 24, there's a pretty good chance 22 and 23 have something to do with the same kind of thing. And as I was studying, then I, I got to, I got to learn this, right? Because I don't, I don't read Greek, but, uh, when I start reading commentaries, I get to see lots of other neat things. And James, the book of James, letter of James, 1.5, James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so that word that in James 1.5 says generously is the word that is actually translated in verse 22 as healthy. So if the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is generous, that's the, the Greek word is the same thing. For whatever reason in Matthew it's translated healthy, in James 1.5 it's translated as generous. In Romans 12.8, yeah, Romans 12, 8. He's going through a list of gifts of grace, Paul is. And in verse 8, he says, The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity. And that word, generosity, is the same word that in Matthew is translated as healthy. And so in the same way, when you get down to verse 23, it says, uh, If your eye is bad, if your eye is bad, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word is always translated stingy. It's used quite a bit in Proverbs. And when that word here is translated bad, but in those places it's translated as stingy. So you have this idea that I think flows well with the teaching in don't put your treasure in heaven or put it on, don't put it on earth, put it in heaven. You can't serve two masters. He's saying if your eye is generous, your body will be full of light, and if you are greedy, then your heart will be full of darkness. If your eye is generous, your body will be healthy. If your eye is stingy, the body will be full of darkness. And so I believe that Jesus is saying, when we shut off our generosity, and instead we focus on uh, greed, and when we focus on stinginess, right? This may not ever be a problem for you, but it's definitely a problem for me sometimes. We will be people who are consumed by darkness. We will be people who are consumed by darkness. And so when verse 23 says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I believe the point is this. If the part in you that's supposed to be light, the most light, is dark, then how dark is your darkest point? It's like beyond our comprehension. We just, we get darker and darker and darker and darker. And we just allow ourselves through pride and through jealousy and through racism, maybe this entitlement kind of things. And we, we start to build in ourselves this desire to accumulate things at any cost. And when we're the kind of people that will accumulate at any cost, that means we don't mind to take advantage of people who are around us. Right? We're, uh, in some sort of place where we can, um, right? I don't, many, many of you probably deal with expense reports, right? You deal with expense reports, and maybe you can expense your uh, petrol. So when you roll up to the petrol kiosk and there's an extra receipt that's hanging in the thing, right, at the pay at the pump, then you think, man, that's like 
that's like a hundred ringgit that's just hanging there because I can just pull it out and I can expense that and no one will ever know. And we get in this place where we start to just be stingier and greedier and we start to take advantage of situations and take advantage of people. And when we want to accumulate at any cost, we are on extremely dangerous ground. It's extremely dangerous. So that's why Jesus says this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that's my point three. You can serve God, you can serve money, but you cannot serve them both, right? As we get to this end of this section, we get this warning from Jesus, and the word here he's talking about is a slave. So he's saying literally, a slave can't have two owners. A slave can't have two owners. When I did youth ministry years ago, we would have these... uh we'd have these long breaks at Christmas in America. And so we would then take all the youth from our church and we would go to some sort of camp or retreat or conference or something like that. And at the same time, the basketball teams would practice. And so I would tell a kid, you really need to be part of this experience. It's going to bless your faith. It's going to help your walk with Jesus if you'll go to camp. And at the same time, the coach is saying, if you miss practice, you don't get to play the game. And this kid can't serve church and basketball at the same time. Uh, we have these marching bands at our school in our little town, and, and we joke around, but it's like another religion. It's like another religion. Man, if you join the band, it's like you've joined some sort of cult. What you're going to do is practice during your summer holiday you're going to practice at school twice a day, twice a day for a month when you're supposed to be off school. What a blessing, right? What a blessing. I never was a band person because of that kind of thing. <laughs> the picture is, if you're in band, you're going to be here or you're not going to be in the band. And they're very strong about those sort of things, right? We all have those kind of things uh, with our work or with our family that you that they just say, it's a work day. I'm sorry that you're child's birthday, or I'm sorry that your child is sick and in the hospital, but today is a day when you're going to be at work. And if you don't come to work, then don't ever come back to work. And there's a time that your boss can, can be, he can get to the point where he shows, I am your master. And then you have to say, you're exactly right. You're my master. I will be there. Because you can't have two owners, right? In ancient times, a slave was not a person. The slave was a tool. The slave was an object. And if the slave disobeyed, the owner could punish the slave. The owner could even kill the slave if that's what they wanted to do. Because that, per, that, that slave was just an object. The slave did his master's bidding all the time. So when Jesus is saying, you can't have two owners, this is Serious. You can be owned by God or you can be owned by money, but you can't have it both ways. The love of money is the opposite of what our life of faith is supposed to be about. And it doesn't mean, again, there's, there's a load, there are loads of rich people in the Bible. You'll find Abraham and David and Solomon, lots of rich people that were God-honoring, wonderful people. And so it's not an attack on wealth or an attack on having things. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's important for us to uh, have these things in right relationship. Uh, this, I'll talk about Mike since he's not here. 
If you say, Mike, can we have this meeting at your house? Mike says, yes, right? If I say, Mike, do you think we should? He will say yes before I even finish the sentence most of the time. Because he's just kind of generous. God's gifted him in giving that way, right? When he does the things like the donuts, I say, Mike, would you please, just so we know where the money's going, what we're spending on, what things are important, what things are not, would you please just turn in the receipt for the donuts and let us pay you back? And he says, donuts are my thing. I want to, I want to, when I do it, I want to pay. You can turn it in. I don't, I, but he has just this generous giving kind of heart because I think the Lord is his owner. So when he said, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, when he said he would go to McDonald's and buy a hundred five dollar gift cards to give to homeless people, I was sitting there thinking, "Holy cow! A hundred five every month you were giving five hundred dollars to homeless people." Right? That's all, man. I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Not because Mike's got the money, or that, but just because he does it. Because you don't have to do it. It just it just shows that God's not just doing something in Mike now, but God's been doing something in him for a while. Money can own you or, or you can own it, right? I think that's the, that's the important thing. The question is not about whether or not God's blessed you with a lot, but whether or not money owns your heart, which I think is, is really dangerous. When we get into a place where we think, a better car or a bigger house or more money, if, if, if those kind of things push us and push us and push us to start to take advantage of other people, then I think that, um, we have to really check our, we have to really check our faith, right? Uh, I see this when, um, when we stayed in Indonesia, we stayed in Indonesia for, uh, almost a year and there was, Yeah, there was a missionary family that lived across from us. They were not Indonesians. They were from a different country. They lived across the street from us. And when they would come home, they would honk, 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 so that their helper could run out of the house and open the gate. And so rain, when it was sunny, no matter what, I mean, just pouring down rain, we could could sit there, honk, 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 and then we'd have to watch this. This Indonesian, she grabbed her umbrella, she'd run out to the car, and then they would, the family would all take the umbrella, rush inside, whatever was in the car was left to her. And so she could just carry all the stuff in. I mean, we would see her, we would say, oh, where are you headed off to? And she'd say, well, I'm headed to the school. Oh, why are you headed to the school? Well, I have to go and take the kids' lunch boxes. And I think, the kids are walking home from school. They can't carry their own lunch boxes. Oh my goodness, right? What are we teaching our kids in that kind of situation. And so when we're in a spot and we just, when we're in that place and we're saying, this is, this is my role and that's your role. I mean, it's one thing when it's work, right? I'm not saying hire a house helper and then let her sit in a chair while you wash the dishes, but I am saying, uh, maybe this, I, I, I thought about sharing this story. I'll go ahead and share it. When we first moved to Indonesia, we'd never had anybody like that. So we have this house helper and we're in Indonesia and it was no time before our lovely children would just make a mess and we would say, hey, you have to clean your room. Your room looks horrible. And they would say, Eva will get it, right? The helper will get it. Oh. And we were like, no, Eva won't get it. She's not your slave, right? You get in there and clean your own room up. But it, was, it took no time at all, no time at all before our kids were saying, oh, Eva will take care of it. And we would just hear like stories. Our kids would go to someone else's and the kid would call, Ibu, Ibu, Ibu. She'd come running with the kids' shoes. 
and she would put the shoes on an 11-year-old boy. Oh my goodness, right? People are more important than that, right? Put your own shoes on. Those kind of things I think are just, they just, we get into a place. I have a bigger car. I have a better house. I have more money. I have command of more servants. I am a more important person. And those things don't flow. They don't, they don't flow that way. Okay, so that's a side message. Sorry. Here's some application. What are we supposed to do about this? Just a couple of things and we'll be finished. First, don't accumulate things like this world is all that there is. Don't accumulate things like this world is all that there is. Notice I'm not saying don't accumulate things, right? If you want to have more than one pair of shoes, I'm not opposed to you having more than one pair of shoes. I don't think Jesus is against you having more than one pair of shoes. Accumulate shoes if you want, but don't accumulate shoes like this world is the most important thing. Eternity is the most important thing. So ask yourself, do I own my possessions or do my possessions own me? Do I own my possessions or do my possessions own me? And again, I'm not a guy that is finds a lot of extravagance in those things. My, my temptations lie elsewhere, but um, what was the book about cleaning? There was a Japanese book about cleaning a couple of years ago, about simplifying and doing some things. And the lady says in the book, only keep what brings joy to you, right? Did anybody read that book? Only keep what brings you joy. And it caused me to look around and think, I don't own anything that brings me joy, right? <laughs> Everything I own, I could just burn it and it just... It made me think what a cheapskate I am. But <laughs> The writer and biblical scholar William Barclay says this, A man will not go far wrong if he uses his possessions to see how much happiness he can bring to others. But we must realize, if we intend to see how happy we can make ourselves, we will be in danger. How happy can I make myself? I've got a hundred ringgit. How happy can I make myself with a hundred ringgit? Whatever it happens to be, right? Whatever it is, it's, it's never enough. So secondly, I would say this, kill greed in your life at all costs. Kill greed in your life at all costs, right? We get to this place where we deserve something, and this is where I see my greed most of the time. Uh, I deserve not to have someone cut the queue in front of me. Uh, I deserve to be able to uh, pay my bill as quickly as possible, right? I don't know if you ever have the, the experience where you walk into the, uh, the post office and there's no one inside, right? When you go in, it's just like magical. I just think, I'm going to take a number and sit down just because I'm all alone. Because normally when you go to the post office, there's 40 people there, right? And you push the button and you look and then you do the math and think, holy smoke, I'm going to be here for a while, right? When we start to get to this place where we're deserving, the things that I deserve almost always come at the direct expense of someone else. I don't want to have to wait for a table. Those people should hurry up. I don't want to do this. That person should get out of the way. When I'm greedy like that, I always want to take something from someone else. And this can show up in our desire for more money. It can desire show up in this desire for a better office, right? We feel like we're not getting enough physical attention from our spouse, right? Those kind of things that we just become takers instead of givers. And if we don't kill greed, it will eventually eat up every bit of satisfaction that we have in our lives, right? I'm, I can be satisfied with my old phone until I see someone else with the new phone, right? Or I, we used to have a Toyota. I was satisfied with my Toyota, and then I got this, uh, we have a Proton, this Exora. 
I've just never been satisfied. The whole time we've been driving this Exora, every time I turn it, I think, oh man, I missed my Toyota. It could turn, man, a Toyota could turn easy. You gotta kill greed in your life at all costs. You're gonna end up with nothing but darkness inside if you're feeding your greed. Then the third thing is this, last one's this, actively determine where your heart resides. Actively determine where your heart, don't let someone else be determining the world or your past, your uh, things your mom didn't do for you or things your dad didn't do for you. You actively determine where your heart resides. So when we talked about divorce a few weeks ago, I said there's this thing in there. In the scripture, I think that I learned from Josh McDowell about precept, principle, principle, precept, principle, person. Precept, principle, person. And so it said it's never enough for us just to have a rule and then say, well, it's in the Bible, right? So the idea is we have an idea that we try to live by. We tie that to what it says in the scripture, and then we reason back from what it says in the scripture to the nature of God. That's kind of the principle, the precept we live by, the principle we find in the scripture. It ties into the actual nature of who God is. So we're not just following a bunch of rules all the time. So the question is, does the life of Jesus exemplify greed? I want to be like the person of Christ. Was Jesus greedy? No, he wasn't greedy. Was he, uh, was he constantly storing up for himself treasures, right? No, it wasn't. He just, somebody would say, hey, you need some money? And he'd say, go catch a fish. And it's going to be in the fish's mouth, right? He just was able to do things like that. He gave, he sacrificed, he was serving others all the time. Turn quickly to Matthew 13. I'll read three more verses for us. In Matthew 13, 44, 44 to 46, Jesus tells two really quick parables. Two really quick parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in these two parables, we have a man who finds a treasure and we have a man who finds a pearl. And these things are worth more than everything else that these guys have in the world combined. This one thing is worth everything I, everything else I have combined. And so they take whatever steps are necessary to get that thing, whether it's the treasure in the field or if it's the pearl. These, these men looked at what they had and realize this other thing is much more valuable. So they got rid of everything else. Do you, you see? You see what it's about, right? They sold everything and bought this one thing. So here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us that there is something that is to be found that is worth more than everything else in the world. And so He's saying, "Do whatever you must do to get it." There's something that's that worthwhile. Angie and I would, uh, before we moved overseas, we made a list, kind of like family values. Here are things that we think. And near the top for us is our family being together. Our family being together is a, we, we hold that as an incredibly high family value. And yet Caleb is in the United States, and Bethany is up in Penang. We're separated in all these different areas. And so why in the world would that be? Here's why. We believe. And we're hoping that we can model for our children that obeying Jesus is worth more than everything else in our life combined. 
right? It hurts us to be away from our children. But we, we really hope that at the end, that our kids will look and say, my parents believed that I should obey Jesus no matter what it cost me. That's the lesson that we hope that they take out of it. My parents want me to obey Jesus no matter what. We hate to be away from them. And so we do that because we feel like the way to bless our kids the most is by obeying Jesus more than everything else in the world. Because we could work and be in a situation where we could give them a new phone, or we could have the best kind of car, or we could go to lots of restaurants, right? We talk about uh, connected sometimes with our travel business. People say, well, tell me where you take people, and I'll list off this place and this place and this place. And uh, one day, a, a guy, a Chinese guy here in town said, do you ever take people anywhere nice? And I thought, actually, no, I don't. I don't. I take people to places that you eat with your hands and you eat off of a, you know, a banana leaf or you eat off the, their idea of washing the dishes when they just fold it and throw it in the trash, right? That's the, that's the, that's the thing. So we don't go to the best places and so we don't have the best sort of stuff. Uh, but I don't think that's a problem because I think the best thing that we can do is to live our lives fully relying on Jesus and teaching other people to do the same thing. If I can do that, if I can really rely on Jesus and I can model that and lead other people to fully rely on Jesus, then I think we'll have a life that's been well lived. So here I think we have Jesus looking at us and he's the God of the universe and he's saying, don't put your treasure on earth, put your treasure in heaven. When you store it up on earth, it is futile. It is futile. When you think that you can live with a foot in each kingdom, you're foolish. You're foolish. I can, I can, I can live here and I can love the world and I can love God and I can, I can maintain that balance. You just, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And so the Bible's telling us that, uh, heaven is where our values belong. God's supposed to be our king. Jesus valued what was most valuable and we want to follow him. So the precept, principle, person part of this would be be a giver. Be a giver. That should be the thing that you live by. Why should you be a giver? Because Jesus says, don't store up your treasure on earth, store it up in heaven, because God is the kind of God that loves to give. He poured himself out so that, so that people could... He made himself poor to make other people rich. So how do we do that? Above all else, this is what the Sermon on the Mount, this is what this whole 5, 6, 7 is about, how we do this. And so we humble ourselves, we face our, place our faith in Jesus, we trust Jesus to fulfill the law. If he says you're not going to get to heaven unless you fulfill the law, you have no hope of fulfilling the law. And so Jesus, you trust Him and He fulfills the law on your behalf. And you love Jesus and you walk with Him, you fully rely on Him daily, you stop trusting in yourself to be good enough, and you trust Christ to make you good enough so that you can... Um, live a life that points people continually to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. The only thing that has, that ultimately has meaning. It's the only thing that ultimately has meaning. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll finish up. Father, we, we recognize uh, as your people Many of us wouldn't be tempted really about 
uh, greed and these kind of things at all. Lord, it's just not, it's just not a kind of thing that, that's really drawing to us. You've gifted, uh, gifted us in, in giving and generosity and you've just made us, um, always look for and meet the needs of other people and it's just, they don't, there'd be many I would say who would hear and just not understand the emphasis. And yet I know like a cancer in our world, even in many churches, the, the, the so-called gospel is being preached that if God loves you, He's going to pour out more things on you. Father, I just don't believe it's true. I believe that you are to be our treasure. And whether we uh, drive a Mercedes or we walk, Lord, you're to be our treasure. And so we pray that you would help us to be people who don't love our things, who are not owned by our things, but in all of these things that you bless us with, Father, we use them as opportunities to be a blessing to the the people that are around us. Ultimately, Lord, when all of this is stripped away, we want to be able to present before you an offering that matters. And so we pray that you would use us to love people, to encourage people, to be a blessing to them, to share the gospel so that they might be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of heavenly light. And Father, I want to pray too for those who might be here who would say, um, I can't imagine something that would be more valuable than me having a great house and a wonderful car and uh, lots of money in the bank. Lord, I pray that you would show them the true value of the true value of Jesus Christ and a right relationship with you as Father. And I pray that even this morning that you would convict of sin and Lord, in places that we are uh, trusting in ourselves, that you would, in your mercy, reveal that to us so that we could repent of it and that we could be uh, made into the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, thank you that you've just uh, poured into this fellowship so many generous, glad-hearted people. God, they just sacrifice and they serve and they stretch themselves and they, they give in ways that just beyond what I could ever imagine that people would be willing to give. And I thank you for uh, for them, and I pray that you would grow me in that. Lord, would you help me to stop trusting in myself? Would you help me to root out that uh, I deserve kind of attitude that prop, uh, pops up so much in my heart? Father, we pray that you would guide us as a, as a faith family and help us to grow closer together and closer to you and help us, Lord, as we do our good works, that your, that your, the gospel of the glory of Christ might shine out through us to the people uh, up and down these streets. We do love you. Thank you again for uh, this church and for the people who are gathered today. Thank you for the, um, the ones who have been willing to serve, whether that's leading worship or teaching today in the two classes. We pray that you would bless and reward them for that. Thank you again, Lord. We love you. Pray that you go with us this week. Use us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.